First Timothy chapter one. Uh, I appreciate those who, uh, on a pretty frequent basis, ask me where I'm preaching, what scripture passage I'm preaching from, uh, so that they can read ahead and they love to study God's word and get prepared. I just go ahead and cue you up that starting the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to start uh, a study of the book of Luke. Uh, as you know, Luke is a long book. And so I decided we're just going to take a while. So we'll preach on Luke through Advent all the way through May of next year. So uh, if you want to study Luke, um, just read the book of Luke. I think it's always good news to study the gospel. Um, so I haven't preached through the book of Luke before, so you can go ahead and start reading that. Um, but in between, before we get to the book of Luke, Advent starts the final Sunday of, uh, of November. We love celebrating Advent around here. Uh, I, I want to do a kind of a mini-series Untitled, Who Needs It? And today, there are a lot of questions concerning Christianity and things that, we, that people are asking. Questions like, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Is, thanks Dottie for answering. I, these are more rhetorical. They don't have to be answered right now. <clears throat> but thanks for your participation. I appreciate it. Are heaven and hell real places? Is there a real devil? Is the church meeting necessary? Is Jesus coming again? What will happen at the end of times? Is the Bible still relevant concerning moral issues? Are all the spiritual gifts still in operation today, and do they matter? There are so many questions that people ask about church and the Bible, and because you're engaged in this setting, your answers are probably going to be pretty similar to Dottie's, which is yes, 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 yes. But there are people not here out asking questions about the relevance of Christianity in the world around us, and the Bible, and truth. And one of the aspects that I want to talk about today, uh, about who needs it, that's the question I thought it'd be kind of a fun topic to look at, who needs it, like do we really need this, is the, is the topic of doctrine. Doctrine, proclaiming truth. Now my wife made fun of me this week um, because we put on Facebook what I was preaching on, uh, doctrine. And she was kind of making fun, saying, but basically, are you sure you want people to come to church? <laughs> I mean, if this is your advertised topic, doctrine, are you sure you want people to show up? Because doctrine has fallen on hard times. It has become a word that's almost scorned, even within the church, the whole topic of doctrine. Now, doctrine as a word means teaching or truth, telling what the Bible says about a certain topic, um, a certain truth. But really what's happened within the church today is this, this mindset that says, look, all we really need to do is love God and love people. Trying to answer these questions really is not all of that important, but instead let's just Love God and love people. Now, I, I do want to say that as a church, we want to love God and love people. 
I'm not saying that's not something. These are not either or propositions. They're both and. And I think that by the end of the sermon, hopefully you will see that loving people means we're teaching the truths of God. They're not opposites of each other. But here at Fullness, in case you wondered, we're a church that fully embraces the spirit of God, the person of God, the work of God on the earth, and the truth of God. The truth as revealed in his word. The truth as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place that fully embraces both. So over the years, we have, we have attempted to be experiential, so to speak, in worship where we're experiencing the presence of God. And at the same time, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, preaching the truth of God's word, holding out to each other what is it that God is saying. Now, I'm going to try to not let this be a, a teaching class, so to speak, but there are some things I want you to be aware of that in the church have taken the place of teaching the truth of God's word. And because I am a preacher, I'm especially sensitive to some of the things that I hear. And the internet is full of places to hear right now, is it not? You can hear a lot. So there are certain techniques in speaking that will persuade people to go a certain direction or not. Are you with me? I'm going to let you behind the curtain. This is kind of like, I don't want to say the magician revealing his magic tricks because it's not near that exciting. But I do want you to be aware of some techniques that speakers use, even Christian speakers, in order to try and persuade you to move in one direction or another. You with me so far? And I thought about actually showing video clips and then my wife, who is the restraining factor of my life, said, that's really not a good idea. <clears throat> I thought I'd show you different video clips of preachers online who are using these techniques, but I will name a couple of names. So just hang with me for just a second. So one of the techniques that speakers use to try and persuade you to go into a certain direction is this, redefine a term and then build a whole teaching on the redefinition of that term. So it's something like this. We all know that, I'll give you an example. We all know that when the Bible talks about homosexuality in the Bible, that it's talking about child abuse. Therefore, X, Y, Z, build a whole book. That's Matthew Vines in God and the Gay Christian. He redefines the term homosexuality as used by the Bible within the first 10 pages and then builds an entire book theologically on his redefinition of the term. Are you with me? Rob Bell does the same thing in Love Wins. He does the same thing in Velvet Elvis. In Velvet Elvis, for instance, he will talk about how the Bible is, is not absolute truth. It's more like a trampoline that you jump on. And the trampoline is, is pliable so that it's not a wall. The word of God is not a wall. The word of God is a trampoline. So he redefines what the word of God is and then builds an entire book based on his redefinition 
of the term. This is a really common logical speaking technique is to get you to all agree on my redefinition of a term and then speak an entire sermon because by the end, you'll end up in a place of untruth. Because the premise, you're with me, right? The premise of the redefinition is another, is another thing. Second technique that you'll hear many times is this, to simply use stories in order for you to buy into a truth. I'm going to tell you a series of stories. Now, I'm, I'm not bashing stories. I love stories. I'm the worst at storytelling. My wife will tell you, I tell the same stories over and over and over again. And she'll be like over in the seat, just rolling her eyes like, oh, I've got to hear this again. But I'm like, you know, I'm not telling the story for you. I'm telling it for these people because they've never heard the story before. And look, they're captivated by my story. <laughs> I love stories. But one of the things that stories will do will put an idea in your head that this is truth rather than this is truth. Let me illustrate it with a story. Just an example, and again, I am not against this, and I, I, I just, I'm trying to help all of us understand and be discerning about what we hear. So almost every time I went to the Toronto uh, Revival or I went to Brownsville, uh, for instance, one of the things that would happen is they would spend a lot of time talking about what happened last night. That last night we started praying for people, and the next thing we knew, people were just slain in the spirit all across the room. And then they would talk about being slain in the spirit for about 20 minutes. Now you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing really wrong with it other than the term slain in the spirit is never mentioned in the New Testament. There are examples of people falling out, but it's more, it's not as common. And again, I'm not for people, I'm not against people falling down when they get prayer. You, do you understand? What I am against is putting the power of suggestion in people's head that this is what God is going to do when we pray for you later. It's a way of, it's a way of, it's a way of trying to communicate a truth I want you to hear, whether it's truth or not. I'm going to tell you experientially what has happened in my life. Now, again, I think stories are a great way to illustrate the truth of God's word. But my story should never predetermine the word of God. Do you understand? My story should never make you think this is what God's word says. Rather, I should teach, here's what God's word says, and we'll illustrate it by, by a story. Are, are we still having fun so far? <laughs> a third way, and I'm going to end it with this, not the whole sermon. Just the, I'm, I'm not even through the introduction yet, so just hang on. Don't get excited. Some of you are like, wow, this is great. It's the shortest ever. <clears throat> a third way that speakers will influence you is by trying to make something that's not fundamentally God's word. They'll try to make a disputable matter fundamental. And they'll, they'll take something and build a bridge across to a non-fundamental idea and then try and get you to buy into. So one is redefining a term, one is by telling stories, and one is by building bridges where there may not be bridges that need to be built. I just want you to be aware, as you're listening, even to me, at times saying, I don't know, 
Because what, is, what should be the, the foundation of our measurement of truth? It should be God's word. We have to keep taking it back to the word of God. If the story doesn't align with the word of God, then say, well, it's a great story, but that may not be God's word. Or if the idea or whatever the definition, come back to the word of God. It's what he has given us. You know, even, <clears throat> I am actually getting to 1 Timothy in just one second, but even the, the, the idea of the late 19th, early 20th century that became to known as fundamentalism, fundamentalism was a, was a teaching that said, wow, the church has become way too liberal. We need to get back to God's word. And so they determined some fundamentals that were essential to the word of God that the church needed to know that the church had gotten away from. Now, I, I am so for this, right? Here's the problem with fundamentalism. Fundamentalism started with the fundamentals, but then the next thing you know, well, if that's fundamental, this must be fundamental too. And if that's fundamental, this must be fundamental too. And the next thing you know, fundamentalism ended up as a synonym for legalism. Okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And it just became mean. It just became mean. One of the problems with Calvinism is it just becomes mean. Because the last thing that happens is we as humans want to take the mysteries of God and explain them to the point that we can't explain them. And if I can't explain it, then I'm going to come to a point where I'm going to develop a theology, a way of thinking that explains the mystery of God that's unexplainable even from the Word of God. And it just always becomes mean to me. <laughs> the grace of God is the grace of God that we should hold out. So here's the point. Who needs it? Doctrine, truth, we all do. We need the truths of God's word. And as, as an example of this, I just want to look at 1 Timothy for just a moment. With all of that kind of background that I've just given you, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy. He is writing background again. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy, who he's left in Ephesus to help keep the church safe and establish the church. So he's writing back to Timothy, Paul is, telling him, here's what we should do. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Such things promote... I, I think I... Can we go back one slide? I think I accidentally pushed... Um, Mona, I'm sorry. I'm not on verse 3, actually. Am I? There it is. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach, what? False doctrines. I'm, I'm leaving you there to teach true doctrines. It's, this is the implication. Uh, you're combating false doctrines uh, any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere, a sincere faith. Paul is 
speaking to Timothy, look, hold on to the truth. Don't let the faults enter. How do you recognize what is false? How do you know what, when something's counterfeit? You've heard this illustration before. When, when they teach people to Treasury Department to identify counterfeit bills, what they do is they just give them good bills. And everything, anything that's not a good bill is a counterfeit. So they, they teach them to look for the real. Then if it's not real, then it's, it's false. Why is this so important? Why is this important to us today? Why is it important for what you believe? Because I'm going to go back to a contention that I've made for 30 years. And it's this. Some of you could state it with me. You know where I'm going right now. It's this. You act upon what you believe to be true. You act upon what you believe to be true. In other words, belief precedes action. Now, I know there are some of you who are skeptics at heart already going, well, I don't know that that's true. You're, you're right. I could, could, could compel you to do a certain action. I could make, not me, but somebody could make you do a certain action that you don't believe it's right. But eventually, it's going to cause such a conflict in your conscience that it's going to be trouble for you. In general, in life, you act upon what you believe to be true. So, so for instance, um, this morning you got up and you probably brushed your teeth. Why did you brush your teeth before you came to church or when you got up? If you didn't, please don't tell me. But most of you brushed your teeth when you got up this morning. Why? Well, because it, you know, bacteria builds up in my mouth and I want my teeth to be good when I'm old, so I brush my teeth. I've never seen bacteria. Have you? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just going on what, why is that? Why did I brush? Well, because I think it's better to have good breath than bad breath. It's more socially acceptable. People will probably talk to me a little bit more. Uh, if, if this is the case. So I'm taking care of my teeth. I, I, it helps my... What, why are all the... I believe it's good for me to brush my teeth. Therefore, I brush my teeth. If I didn't think it mattered, I probably wouldn't do it. And people who don't brush their teeth, ultimately, they don't believe it really matters. I mean, I could go down the list about things you do because you believe them to be true. And I believe the same thing is true spiritually. You act upon what you believe to be true spiritually. If you believe, for instance, that our God is an all-powerful, omnipotent God, then you will worship the ruler of the universe. If you believe that our God is an intimate God who cares about the very workings of your life, then you'll pray. If you, if you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, came to this earth and, and, and died for your sins, then you will walk in faith and grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you believe these things to be true, they will impact the way your life plays out. Why do people not pray? I believe ultimately it's a spiritual issue. They don't actually believe in a God who intimately cares about their lives and he's not at work in their life right now. You know, we say, well, that's pretty extreme, Pastor. Ultimately, I think it goes back to a belief issue. If you believe God really did care, you'd pray. 
If you believed that the people outside this church who are separated from God, who don't know Jesus, are going to spend eternity separated from God, you would share Jesus with people. Our beliefs matter. We act upon what we believe to be what we believe to be true. Therefore, Paul is saying to Timothy, hold on to these truths. Teach these truths to the church at Ephesus. Protect, protect people. Protect the sheep. Look again at what he says. Let me just walk us through it. <clears throat> he says, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Part of the problem that was happening is Paul had been in Ephesus for three years teaching solid doctrine, founding the church in Ephesus. It was a church he loved. And, and he basically understands that when he leaves, and he even says this in the book of Acts, I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. What Paul in Ephesus, before he ever leaves, says, as soon as I leave, we're going to have wolves come in. As a matter of fact, some of you guys are them. Paul is pretty direct. He said, you're going to try and draw men to yourself, not to point them toward Jesus. So in Timothy, he's saying to Timothy, don't let this happen. Don't let false doctrines, don't let endless genealogies. What's that all about? Endless genealogies. Again, I'm going to go back to this idea that humans are drawn to, oh, there's got to be some secret level of knowledge that I have to know. This deeper level. You know, there's God, and there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and there's got to be something more. People are always drawn to, like, I'm on the inside as far as knowledge is concerned, understanding these deeper things. And Paul is saying, look, don't, don't get caught up in that junk. It's, it's distracting from the truth of God's word. He goes on and says even that. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by what? Look, faith is essential. I believe knowledge, there is a body of information that we have to know. But it, this body of information is going to lead to faith. We, we need to walk in faith. Our teachings promoting just things to be controversial, or are they leading us to a deeper level of faith? which might be a way of looking at the value of the teaching that's, that's going on. And he says the goal. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a good heart, pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Listen to this. See if we can get this. Paul is saying, teach good doctrine, Promote faith because that's an act of love. We in our society, what do we say? All we need to do is love, which means it doesn't matter what we teach, which means it's really whatever you think that matters. Paul says that's not love. That's the opposite of love. 
that really, if love matters, then we teach the truth of God. We hold out the truth of God. We walk in faith. We hold people accountable. That's love. We've got a messed up idea of love. In our society, love is all we need, right? According to the Beatles. If love is all we need, then whatever you want is your own act of love. Because you're a perfect whatever you are. We believe this in our lives, and we, we so hold up the individuality of humankind that, that instead of saying, no, what matters is God and everything, all truth flowing from him, that then impacts our lives through faith that saves us and gives us a real relationship with him, this is the ultimate act of love, sharing God with, sharing God with people. This is the truth of God. This is why we need good doctrine. This is why we need to understand the essential truths of God's word. Let me give you three points. You're like, oh, I'm going to do them quick. Three points on why um, doctrine really, really matters in case you haven't got it by now. First is this. It saves the lost. And you might be saying, wait a minute. It saves the lost? Well, according to Paul in Romans, he says this. Consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing what? The message. They've got to hear the gospel. Faith is not just faith in nothing. Faith is faith in the message and the person. The person of Jesus Christ, the truth of God. Wait a minute. Wait, I said that again. Truth. Truth is a body of information. There is some message. There is some teaching that has to come from it. Now, you can't divorce the teaching from the person, all right? There is the person of Jesus Christ, but there's the truth about what Jesus came to do. If you're just married to the person and not the truth, then you can talk about any Jesus you want to talk about. And that's what, for instance, Jehovah's Witness will do. They'll come by your house and you'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they're like, I believe in Jesus too. And I'm like, yeah, really? Do you believe in a Jesus that's fully God and fully man? Fully God, fully human? They'll be like, no, 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 no. I'm like, oh, we don't believe in the same Jesus. We have a different truth about who Jesus is. You understand? There's a doctrine about, there's a truth, a teaching about who he is that we receive in faith. Because, come on, do you fully understand the hypostatic union some of you are like, the what? The, the fact he's fully God and fully man. Do you fully understand that? I, at some point, my mind short circuits how Jesus could be fully God and fully man. But I receive the truth in faith. Because it matters. Because if it was just God who went to the cross, then what can I say? It's God. I mean, of course he lived a perfect life. It's God. But if, it's, if Jesus is fully man, then you understand, I hope, the implications that it has for the gospel, the humanity, and the, the Trinitarian nature of God. It goes on and says in 1 Timothy 4, 
Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a salvation for you and for those who hear if you teach the truth of God's word fully. Faith comes from hearing, but hearing what? Hearing the message of Jesus Christ. Watch your life and doctrine. As a result, you'll save yourself and your hearers. And he also says this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Here's the message. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Paul says, I'm the worst. And I doubt that in all of humanity, Paul is really the worst. But to himself, because of what he did in persecuting the church and in proclaiming that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, he saw himself as the worst. We need to understand that there is a, there is a salvation, so to speak. It comes from hearing the word of God. It comes by faith. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the second point is this. It empowers the saved. It empowers us. What does Truth of God's word empowers us. Here's what Paul also says. Again, I'm quoting from Ephesians a lot because remember, Paul is talking to Timothy who is in Ephesus. And here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Why did God give the fivefold ministry? He gave it to proclaim the truth of God's word in all its various facets, to proclaim the doctrine. It's not just that he gave these people for the heck of it. They're there to prepare you and me, strengthen the body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Fivefold ministry were given so that we could be built up, reaching unity in the faith and the knowledge. Am I talking too fast? Do I need to change my pattern a little bit? Did you kind of zone out? There's knowledge here. There is a truth of doctrine that we need to hear. Why? So that we can become mature. What happens if we don't become mature? Then we'll stay as infants we're going to be tossed back and forth. We're going to be blown here and there. You ever looked at the church a little bit and said, we're getting blown around a lot. We're getting tossed here and there. Could it be that part of the problem is we've removed the truth of God, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the gospel, the good news, and who we are, and the faith that we're to attain. And as a result, we're still we gotta, we're running a nursery. We're not really running a church. We're infants being blown around rather than standing solidly on God's, on God's word. It empowers the church. He goes on and says in 1 Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, I've skipped down to verse 18. Timothy, my son... I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight. 
It empowers us to fight the fight. The, good, the prophecy that he's talking about is the good news, the doctrine, the, the words that have been poured into Timothy are there so that he can be empowered to fight the fight. Matt Chandler says this. He says, seeing God rightly stirs the affections of the soul. You may say, well, I, I, I don't really know what that means. Let's, um, let's pretend that, I borrowed this illustration, but let's pretend I go home to my wife and I sit down on the couch next to her and I take her hand in mine and I just say to her, Kathy, I, I, I love you so much. I love I love your green eyes, and I love your blonde hair, and I love the fact that I never know where you stand on a certain topic. I love the mystery of you. Now, what's the problem with that? It, it sounds all lovey-dovey, but my wife's got blue eyes. She's got brown hair, and I know exactly where she stands on almost every topic. She's not really a mystery to me. She'll tell you that. What is it? I'm saying, I'm saying, oh, I love you so much, but I'm not saying I love you. It indicates that I know nothing about her. Sometimes we go to God and we, oh, God, I love you so much. And then we start proclaiming things that have nothing to do with who he is because we don't know him rightly. Our affections, we think they're stirred, but they're not stirred. Why is this? Because, I'm just going to give you some more. We learn in order to see God rightly, love him fully, and follow him totally. These are my own statements on doctrine. These are mine. This is, I believe that when we know God, we get to see him as he is, best we can. We're not going to see him totally, but we're going to see him more right than wrongly. Good doctrine leads us to this, and we'll love him more fully because we'll know who he is, and we'll follow him totally. Also, we don't study doctrine to win an argument with another person. You don't, that's not what your reason to study dark doctrine. You know, I'm going to go study so I can beat the heck out of this person verbally when I get to see him next. Now, you may be laughing, but there are people whose whole lives are spent figuring out how to win the argument. This is, not, this is a command of love. We, we, we want to see God rightly so that we love him and we can show him to the world around us rightly as he's supposed to be. And here's another thing. Here's the, again, this is my statement, but when we lose doctrinal integrity, we always begin to create God in our image. When we lose the sight of who God is, I'm going to make him, I'm going to make him like me. Why? Because I'm pretty close to perfect. If I can make God like me, then I don't have to move quite as much. Good doctrine, I believe, empowers the saved. It will empower us to live godly lives. Here's my final point, and it's this. It also purifies the church. It, it says, here's where God is, and here's where God isn't. Now, you may say, wait a minute, that sounds really judgmental. Well, sometimes we need purifying. 
Because the devil, the wolves, they're trying to get in. If we go around life thinking that the devil isn't existing and there is no such thing as demons and there are no such thing as people who have been demonized trying to get into the church to destroy the church, that the devil isn't against us, it is an open field. It's just like us standing before a machine gun saying, go ahead and shoot me. Sometimes we need the purification of the, ch the church in order to understand what purifies. It's not the non-fundamental. It's not, I'm going to separate by disputable matters. We're going to separate based on, hey, here's who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully man. He went to the cross and died on our behalf. We, we are only saved by faith and grace, not our own works. We can't save. Those kind of things help us understand that we have an enemy who's trying to kill us. We're going to stand in the fight. We're going to put on the full armor of God, the truths of God. And anything that doesn't come into line with the fundamental truth, then we just say, well, that's not us. It helps purify the church. Here's what Paul says. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Well, who's, who's he fighting? Again, if there's no enemy, there's no fight, right? So you may fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. And he's going to give a couple of examples of guys who did that. Paul isn't saying, here's, by the way, the doctrine will, the truth of God, I think will separate things out itself. He's not saying... Hey, here's what happened with these guys. We cut them off. We shot them. He said, no, they shipwrecked their faith. They did this by not following the truth of God's, of God's word. I pray this morning that we will We'll hold on the truths of God's word because we know that this really, it really, really matters. Because we have a truth to proclaim to the world, the gospel, the good news. That we need the power of God, the truth of God to, to, to walk in every moment of every day. And, and we need purification that I need purifying myself. It brings a purification to me, the truth of God's word. <clears throat> I learned this prayer from Jack Taylor umpteen hundred years ago. And it was this. God, every place my mind disagrees with your mind, change my mind. Well, how am I going to know the mind of God? I know the mind of God by the truth of God. God, where, where my being doesn't align with your word, the word of Christ and the power of the Spirit, Lord, change me, purify me, make me more, make me more like you. Because here's the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal Christ. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, 
invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Doctrine. Who needs it? We all do. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your truth as revealed in our lives. And I pray, God, we will walk in truth. I pray that we, as recipients of the eternal life of Jesus Christ, that we will walk in this faith and grace in a way that we communicate to the world around us the good news of a God who is both eternal and immortal, invisible, but also wise, who loves us, who gave his only son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. God, may this be the truth. We communicate to the world around us in a way that glorifies your name. Lord, forgive us where we've stayed infants being blown and tossed and we haven't even thought about becoming mature. Instead, Lord, help us grow to maturity in you. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible message. Thank you, Pastor Bart, um, on the reminder of